Hi, everybody. Steve Skojak here. Just wanted to quickly, once again, ask for your financial support. Help us out. We're in our fall fundraising campaign. We need your help. Hit the donate link at the top of onepeter5.com. You can see it on the nav bar. You can see our progress meter in the sidebar on every page. Um, We really need your support. We really need your help. We can't do it without you. Making all this content isn't free. Um, And so we need you to help us to make it happen. And for those of you who have donated so far, uh, we've raised nearly 2,500 of our $30,000 goal. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm actually going to be looking into having masses said for our benefactors very soon because we all need to support each other however we can. And I want you to know how much I appreciate you uh, and we do pray for our benefactors as part of our regular intentions. So please uh, help us. And we will continue to do our best to build and grow one Peter five on with the show. Hello, and welcome to the one Peter five podcast, episode nine. On today's episode, I come clean about the secret cabal behind one Peter five. Also, Anne Barnhart. Yes, that Anne Barnhart who talks to me about everything that's going on in the church right now and reveals the answer to the question that we all wanted to know. I am, in fact, a shape-shifting lizard Jew. This is an episode you don't want to miss. Coming up next. You're listening to the One Peter Five Podcast. It is a real joy for us to welcome you all here. Rebuilding Catholic culture, restoring Catholic tradition. It had to happen sooner or later. The truth was bound to come out. I didn't know how long I could fool people. I'm pretty good at keeping secrets, but sometimes, sometimes you can just see that something isn't right. That two plus two is equaling five. Things just don't add up. The Roman Catholic imperialist a website which neither I nor anybody else, as far as I can tell, has ever read, actually decided to do an expose on me. And it's pretty devastating. The interesting thing is that they they group myself in with one Michael Voris, who you may be familiar with for his overwrought apologies on churchmilitant.tv you know, just for reporting on news Um, we'll talk about that more later but uh, they have a great animated GIF, some people say it's GIF, but I've been on the internet for, I don't know, 20 years and um, it stands for Graphic Interchange Format, so if I'm going to use an acronym, I'm going to use the hard G and nobody, not Tim Berners-Lee or anybody else is going to be able to tell me otherwise, so an animated gif, get over it, of Michael riding a horse um, with a gun, with a rifle, and uh, is described um, 
as Prince Michael on his steed to save the day uh, by this website, the Roman Catholic imperialist. Um, they say a gun and a horse is no substitute. It's going to fool, not going to fool anyone into thinking that Voris is the warrior prince that will save the church from all the wicked bishops, chasing them in their wicked doctrines to the very gates of hell. Uh, it goes on. Of course, if Pope Francis happens to be wounded in the war, Voris wages on the wicked prelates. I am sure that Prince Michael will ride up on his steed and rescue poor, humble, and wounded Pope Francis. Suck his wounds, healing the poor, wounded Francis. Both of them riding off into the sunset. The great monarch, Voris. Actually, it's spelled Voyers on this, but we'll, we'll go ahead and say Voris. And the Fatima Pope, Francis. But then he goes on, and this is where it hits close to home. He says, one thing I am starting to notice is that some bloggers with the traditionalists bent are positioning themselves to become leaders of the laity. They are going so far to create a new image for themselves that I find somewhat disturbing. One blogger comes to mind is Steve Skojak a writer that has been around for a while. Skojek does not claim to be a hardcore trad, meaning he doesn't attend SSPX, etc., but he has sympathies for the Latin Mass and positions himself as one who didn't like Pope Francis from the beginning. Skojek is an example of one who has given himself an internet makeover. He even posted his weight-lose photos online. Yes, it wasn't weight-loss. It was weight-lose. And yes, I did post two years ago uh, because I was a fat slob. Um, uh, and I went paleo, and I lost 40 pounds in six months, and I was pretty happy about it. So I posted some pictures. At the time, I wasn't really writing about Catholic topics, though. If anybody went and looked at the context of my website, I was writing about just about anything else. Um, I was writing about social media and business stuff, technology and trends and sci-fi and all that. Because um, I had taken a break from Catholic blogging, but I did post these pictures and he found them and put them on his website. So he posts my, my progression. Then he says, okay, so what? I agree. So what? Skojek even had a coat of arms plastered on his website. And he puts the logo that I designed for my personal website just because I needed some kind of a branding image. And it's a shield with my name under it, little Victorian double S on there and a cross. It's pretty nice. Made it myself. So he says, okay, royal and dignified, I guess. But then Skojak gave his blog a major makeover, calling the new blog 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5, as in, brothers, be sober and watch. Here, Mr. Skojak tells the reason for his blog makeover. So he quotes me, so I'll read it in my own voice. I am launching 1 Peter 5 because I believe it serves an unaddressed need in today's church. It is vital that we return our focus to the things that cannot change and to bring Christ again to the center. It is my hope that the work we do here will be both a resource and refuge for Catholics seeking guidance 
and the seedbed of newly formed communities around the world. You didn't know this is how I really talk? Yeah, I put on an American accent for the podcast. The Internet is a wonderful thing for many reasons, but it's no substitute for real life, real friendship, and real action. We seek to play our part not just in the restoration of a Christian society, but in the reform of the Catholic Church, which has ever been its heart and sustenance. While critical analysis of the situation we find ourselves in plays a role, there is an overabundance of that sort of commentary being written today. We will not shy away from such analysis when the situation warrants, but it would betray our purpose to spend more time than necessary, illuminating errors which wound and weaken Holy Mother Church. Instead, we hope to reawaken the Catholic imagination, rediscover our roots, and come together to find those concrete steps, however small, which might awaken a renaissance within our church. Half a century has been spent dealing with fallout. It's time to start building again. So, there's the end of the block quote. American accent is back. You know one of my secrets. I'm truly a British nefarious evil overlord <laughs> with a lair. So he goes on. Okay, a rather tall order to restore the church to her former glory, considering you are just a layman with a blog. Who gave you the command to restore the church? No one in authority, of course. Mr. Skojak went out on his own. Or did he? <laughs> By looking at his new blog... I bet dollars to donuts that 1 Peter 5 was funded by moneyed interests. Who funded the blog? Prelates or wealthy laymen? Amazing blog for a busy father of a bunch of kids to create in a short period of time. So I call bullshit. Something is amiss. Not only did Skojak get a blog makeover, he did one better and got a makeover of sorts. And he posts a picture of me. Not looking particularly trim, because I'm not. <laughs> and he subtitles it, Another Warrior Prince to Save the Day. And then he goes on, Kind of really doesn't look at all like the chubby pictures above. Now does it? <laughs> the picture of me, incidentally, while I do look less swollen than I did in my original pre-weight loss photos, is me after having managed to drink and eat my way back up to the original weight uh, before I had lost all of the weight through uh, my lovely paleo dieting. Um, but I'm glad he thinks I look good. Uh, at least somebody does. So anyway, he goes on. Okay, again, so what? Let Voris and Skojak and others do blog makeovers and image makeovers. What harm is in that? Well, considering that the dangers that lie ahead for us, as Our Lady of La Salette warned, quote, a forerunner of the Antichrist with his troops gathered from several nations will fight against the true Christ, the only Savior of the world. He will shed much blood and will want to annihilate the worship of God to make himself be looked upon as a god. Our Lady of La Salette, 19 September, 1846. He goes on, yeah, the forerunner to the Antichrist is near at hand. He has to be, seeing that Pope Francis occupies the Vatican. So it is important to watch men like Voris and Skojak who are posting themselves, positing themselves for some greater glory in this life, 
Neither one of them were called by anyone in authority to read, to lead the rest of us. When you're not called, but take it upon yourself to make yourself a leader of the trad movement, I have to wonder. I, um, yeah. So the bottom line is this. There is a coalition known as the Pentaverit. I would explain it to you, but I could never do it justice, not compared to the inimitable explanation offered by one Stuart Mackenzie. Well, it's a well-known fact, Sonny Jim, that there's a secret society of the five wealthiest people in the world, known as the Pentaverit, mm. who run everything in the world, including the newspapers, and meet tri-annually at a secret country mansion in Colorado known as the Meadows. So who's in this pentaverit? The Queen, the Vatican, the Gettys, the Rothschilds, and Colonel Sanders before he went tits up. Oh, I hated the Colonel with his wee beady eyes and that smug look on his face. Oh, you're gonna buy my chicken. Oh. So there you have it. I've come clean. I am funded by moneyed interests. I don't work 60 hours a week or more making this website the best new Catholic website on the internet. I don't spend many hours a week recording and editing podcasts. I fly from place to place in luxury in secret black helicopters. There are dead drops near Washington, D.C., where I pick up suitcases full of money and untraceable gemstones. It's what I'm in it for. I am part of the New World Order. Now that you know the truth, I'm going to pretend from this point onward that everything's normal. And my minions in the media and throughout the church will cover it all up. And it doesn't matter that I admitted it, that I recorded it, that I published it. Nobody will believe it because I have the power. Stay tuned for Anne Bonhart, coming up next. <laughs> You're listening to the 1 Peter 5 Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. My guest today is Anne Barnhart, prophet of financial doom, burner of bacon-stuffed Qurans, which sounds delicious, by the way, and convert to the Catholic faith, and blogs at barnhart.biz, where she says all the kinds of things that ordinary people wish they could say, but rarely ever do say out loud. This is Anne's first visit to our podcast, and so I want to thank you for taking the time out from your busy life in a van down by the river to come and talk with me. So thank you and welcome. Oh, thank you. It's an honor to be here. You are a gentleman, a scholar, and a poet. God bless you. Well, now I'm going to have to try to live up to that. <laughs> I, have, I have a bone to pick with you already. So you and I are about the same age, mm -hmm. if your bio is to be believed, mm -hmm. and you did not emerge from cryosleep or anything like that. So why are you so much smarter and more popular than I am? <laughs> well, I don't know if popular is, is the accurate word for it. It's, I'm, I'm more of a, a car wreck that has already happened that involves just... <laughs> 
carnage and ejecta and things like that and people just slow down and look and i don't i don't i wouldn't call that popularity per se so, so it's sort of a rubbernecking phenomenon yes i think so yes Oh, well, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But do you have your own conspiracy theories about you? Conspiracy theories about myself? Yeah, because I have some now, and I'm very excited that I have. Oh, reached I've, that I've level heard, of... I've heard lots of them, and they're they're all fascinating to me. But no, you go ahead. I'm fascinated. No, I mean, I just I, I have a website now that says that that there's no way that I could be as a husband and father creating a website like One Peter Five and doing it all by myself. So there must be moneyed interests behind me. Oh, absolutely. Shadow, shadowy cabals and maybe a pentaveret. I don't even know. Well, I am apparently either on the payroll of the shape-shifting lizard Jews, or I, I am, in fact, a shape-shifting lizard Jew myself. Mm. These are the two main, these are the two big ones. And I would just like to say that if any shape-shifting lizard Jews are trying to send me wire transfers, honey, those things are bouncing. So we need to get that <laughs> routing number corrected because they're not coming in. All right? That's all yeah, I have to I'm say so about that. I'm still waiting for the suitcases full of money from my from the Bilderbergs, but they yes, haven't showed up yes. yet. They, apparently FedEx has lost them. So, <sighs> you know, I was actually thinking about you last night because I was making, uh, you know, I was anticipating kind of getting ready for the the podcast, and then I was making dinner, and I was making this nice pork shoulder roast, mm -hmm. uh, and I had all this pig blood that had run off into the bag, and I was like, "There's not a single jihadist in sight that I can throw this at." No. And I was really feeling disappointed. Well, you need to save it. You need to, you know, put it into old mayonnaise and peanut butter jars and put it in the fridge and just, you know, keep that stuff available. You Get know? a super soaker. Yes. Yes. But you're well, going to... It's, it's the, you know, the viscosity of the yeah. pork grease makes the whole super soaker thing a little bit complicated. So you're going to have to, you know, do some additional boring and stroking. Higher the, maintenance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know. I, d I did cook the pork and bacon fat, though, just to be extra sure. Yes. It's sort of like like a Dungeons and Dragon nerd casting a warding spell. I just, you know, there's a mosque three and a half miles from my house. So I got to be sure. You can never have too much pork. That's just. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I want to be serious. And I want to talk to you about what the heck is going on in the church, which is pretty intense. So the synod's over, mm -hmm. um, but the postmortem on the synod continues. We're well, kind of beginning the, the first, to the first half of the synod is over. They're yes, gonna, they're yes. going to come back and finish off this monstrosity next year. So you know we have. I have a hard time not seeing at least some sort of closure after this week because the idea of leaving this thing open for a year is making me want to gouge out my eyes. Oh, I'm I'm actually I'm even more uh, disconcerted because I don't think that Pope Francis the first Bergoglio anticipated as much blowback as he got, and since he is a petty little South American uh, Peronist fascist tyrant, <laughs> that's what he is. He's a Peronist fascist. And you know, I brought you on the show to say what you really think, and I'm I'm really are you don't regretting hold back. it already? Huh? Don't hold back. That's I, all I want to. I'm I'm incapable. I have I have <laughs> I have basically one gear, and that's floor it. So we're we're just going to do that. I mean, he. But in all, in all seriousness, it is very important that you understand 
that you understand the history and the reality of these people and where they're coming from and not stick right. your head in the sand and pretend that none of this happened. Within minutes of him walking out onto the uh, the balcony at St. Peter's Basilica, mm-hmm. where that, that whole bizarre thing, within minutes, I was getting emails from people in Buenos Aires explaining to me who this man was, what he had done to the church down there, how he had just been completely uh, a completely dishonest player with regards to um, the traditional Catholics in the immediate aftermath of Samorum Pontificum, which is actually being celebrated in Rome this very week. He mm-hmm. was a completely dishonest actor with regards to Samorum Pontificum. He he is his politics are in all seriousness Peronist fascist. I, I mean, how can we be surprised by any of this? But back are you to, sure that's not just lost in translation? I mean, people no, are you know no. speaking Spanish and no, no, it's not. It's he, not a translation he, issue. He is a Peronist fascist. Um, there's another term that is um, that's used in Argentina. Um, and it, it's it's a, a Spanish variant of the word uh, justice, justicia, or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. But it is Peronist fascism. It is it is the acquisition of power for power's sake. The it, its its bases and its roots are in Marxism and are in materialism. And yeah. he is he is just full on materialist, and so yeah, and you you see that coming out. I mean, it, you see, I forget where it was that I read it, but there was a report a week or so ago where where some of the bishops and the cardinals in Rome were saying this guy's a tyrant. He's not letting us do anything that we want to do. There's no this this is a pretense of collegiality. He's basically ruling with an iron fist. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when when you couldn't even deny it anymore, you could not make any arguments anymore. After the um, after the first week that at the end of the first week when all of the working groups were elected to write up the first week summary and it was done by language group and that mm-hmm. all that all skewed you know very con- very conservative for goodness sake Cardinal Burke was elected the head of the English language working group to write up that summary right after the first week and he out just out of thin air creates and appoints this six-man council, which now is going to be over the working groups. He made that up out of yeah, thin just air. just change the rules midstream. Change mm-hmm. the rules midstream. And then, lo and behold, those guys, within 36 to 48 hours, pr- produce a 6,000-word document translated into four languages. Now, understand how things usually work in, um, with regards to the Vatican. All right, so some incredibly important document or encyclical is released. It's posted on the Vatican website in Albanian and Mongolian. <laughs> and it's, well, naturally. And it's there in Albanian and Mongolian for seven years and then they finally get around to posting it in Latin, English, French, and German. And, and, and you know, we, we snicker, but it's 
it's almost that bad. It's almost and it's that the, bad. it's the new Pentecost. It's the new Pentecost. It's the new, they spr- were, it's the new springtime. Yeah. They were able to issue it in multiple languages simultaneously, despite its its length. Yeah, by the power. No problem. Of, by the power of the Holy Ghost. I'm sorry. In fuego. Yeah, I, in fuego. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not buying this. Not buying. This. I have to laugh. I have to. I I know it's yes serious, because it's either laugh, laugh or go sit on the stairs and sob till your ribs ache. So we're just gonna go ahead and laugh. Absolutely. And the last time my kids caught me doing that, they could not figure out what was going on. Yeah. It's a little hard to explain sometimes, but... And, you know, and it's interesting. Uh, we are going to be running a piece later today on 1 Peter 5 that talks about how basically the Pope's final speech is a classic Hegelian dialectic. Oh, yeah. Oh, my god. You, you have the do-goodyism of the progressive position. Yes. Uh, which is which is the thesis, even though it doesn't come first in his speech, that's the thesis. Mm-hmm. And then the antithesis is, you know, following church teaching is traditionalist and evil. So we need to find some sort of a synthesis somewhere between doctrine and total nonsense. Uh, eh. No, no, we don't. No, no, I'm not saying we <laughs> I know, I know. But, but uh, there is a certain Argentinian cardinal now, Pope, who, who seems to think that that's, that's where we need to go, that we need to find a via media between permanent mortal sin and doctrinal understanding. And I don't know how you do that. Uh, you don't. And that's, that's exactly the point. You do not. It, it is, it is metaphysically. And I'm not just using that word as a cute, as a cute right. multi, uh, you know, polysyllabic word that makes me sound smart. No, we are now into the domain of, of denying metaphysical foundational concepts. Um, some in contradiction, yeah. Yeah, something cannot be sin and not sin at the same time. Right. This is this is a metaphysical impossibility. But these people are a combination of so stupid. And I, you know, this is, I, if any of your listeners have any history reading me or listening to me, this is a point that I just make over and over and over again. But it can never be made too often. In the in the West. People are people have been conditioned to believe that anybody in any position of power or authority or anyone who is highly paid, anyone who is in the government, um, anyone who sits on a board of directors, et cetera, et cetera. We have been oh, and of course everybody in academia. We have been conditioned to believe without questioning that anybody in any position of power or authority is intelligent. And right. that is not true, ladies and gentlemen. The, I mean, it's to the point Western civilization is so far gone and has been so completely inverted in the last hundred, but especially in the last 50 years, that stupid people, incompetent people are now specifically recruited and sent up the various uh, ladders and, and chains of command, also the military. Intelligent people, educated people, have for the last 50 years since the asteroid hit, have been vilified. And it's gotten to the point now where if you have a brain in your head, you just you almost cannot function in the mainstream right. of Western right. civilization. And so there's there's people like me who, uh, you know, I I had I had to open my own brokerage firm before I was even 30 years old because you know, you, you just can't function when you know, and again, you can, you can accuse me of being conceited and arrogant and all of this stuff, but when you have objective evidence that all of the people in the chain of command above you just really don't know what, what the heck they're doing or what the heck's going on, 
it, it just gets to the point where there's so much tension and there's so much friction that the only thing you can do is go off by yourself. And, yeah. then, and then even then, if you do that, you're still a thorn in their side. And there's lots of people, you know, the question is, where are all the leaders of men in Western civilization? Why are we being led in all of these facets of life by people who, who are not educated, who do not know what they're doing, who can't even think, who can't even work through a simple, logical progression? Why is it? Where are all the smart people? Where did they all go? And my answer to that is, is that they still exist. And if I may, you know, put myself into there, we still exist. It's just that we have to sit in the back and just watch and just watch the world go to hell because we don't have where there's no way that we can function in this system. And it's the same way in the church today. The, the, the Pope is now actively attacking and demonizing people for being intellectual. Nasty intellectual traditionalists. Okay, yeah, can't have that. you can't have. Okay, you call me an intellectual traditionalist, and I like blush, and I, I will thank you. You're too kind. I mean, he's he's throwing this out as as an attack, as an insult, and it should be, and it is. It should be the highest compliment. You you are a traditional person who is intellectual, who use your who uses their brain, who thinks, who un, who is presumably educated who is uh, versed in in dogma and in the history of the church i mean he's he's throwing this out as an insult and it, it's just a proof of how far inverted and how alice through the looking glass all of this is yes absolutely and and it's it's hard to fathom though how this sort of cabal of the ignorant is able to to gain and hold on to power fear I, fear that, and this is another thing, and this maps not only to the church today, but also to secular, secular society. The mm -hmm. reason we're in this mess is because people are afraid. I see it every single day. No, we can't say anything. No, we can't do anything. You don't understand. If we say anything, if we do anything, they're going to come after us. They're going to attack us. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to get transferred out into the middle of nowhere. They're going to the I in in terms of secular society, mm -hmm. um, the IRS is going to come after me if I do that. Blah 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 blah. And it's just this culture, this faithless culture, and it, and it goes again from the loss of the faith since the asteroid hit the last fifty years, and the and the feminization. Yeah. Of the entirety of Western civilization, starting first and foremost with the church through the Novus Ordo paradigm, which is a completely, which is a complete feminization of the liturgy. And it just drained all the masculine courage out of Western civilization. So all people do is sit around and cower in fear. I cannot do anything that might cause me any sort of discomfort any sort of loss of status that might derail my career, that might, mm -hmm. you know, have 
a good grief. You can't even have people unfriend you on Facebook. Oh, 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 here's a segue. Here's a thinly veiled segue. We, we, can't, we can't upset our donor base. Ooh, if, oh, if, yeah. if we see, if we see some, some of those recurring PayPal, PayPal donation profiles get canceled, uh-oh, <laughs> uh-oh, we're going to have to issue some sort of a walkback or some sort of an apology because we can't have our donor base getting upset with us. Come on. Uh, it, it, it just makes me sick, and so it's fear. And, and it's difficult. I mean, you know, when you're trying to make a living, especially when you're just making a living for yourself, it's one thing. You know, when you're supporting a large family and you realize that any time you come forward with with your views, you you run the risk of, you know, either being ostracized or, like you said, losing your job because it happens. Mm -hmm. And particularly because I live close to Washington, D.C. Ew, don't touch anything. Yeah, I know. Well, luckily I'm in the woods. There's a little bit of a safe zone uh, around. I'm going to put the pig farm to help with that, too. But. Um, no, but it's just, you know, you're constantly in this in this political, ideolo- ideologically polarized environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and you never know what you should say out loud and what you shouldn't. And and you have people checking up on your references to ask what your political views are. It's totally illegal, but they do it anyway. Mm-hmm. I had somebody admit to me that they had done that. So it, it becomes difficult to try to make those prudential decisions. And when I listen to you talking about this, I agree with everything that you've said, but I also wonder... Who was putting on the brakes when when all of this was happening? Because we didn't used to be so in the minority that we felt like they could just pick us off one by one. Where where were the people? I mean, there are people resisting now. You're resisting. I'm resisting. There's a number of us. But who was doing that when it was all just falling apart and letting these people take control of everything? Well, like anything, I think these things tend to map into a parabolic curve so that, you know, if you look specifically at the last 50 years since the asteroid impacted, the the curve, if you were to map it, would kind of go along mostly horizontal with a little bit of an upward slope and, you know, upwards being, you know, civilization just completely nosediving into hell. Um, So, you know, it goes along sideways with a little bit of an upward slope. And then just within the last few years, I would say, since, you know, the sodomites have really taken hold. And I, I, I personally, the line in the sand for me was, of course, the Obama usurpation. That mm-hmm. just that just shows that the rule of law is dead. It's over. Western civilization is over. If you can't even defend against that, I mean, give me a break. And then once once the enemy, once old Scratch no, sees that he has critical mass, and sees that he has this momentum that basically can't be stopped. And this also maps onto the financial sector as well. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. It kind of toodles along sideways. And then, man, when that curve goes parabolic, it goes. And it goes hard and fast. And if you right. look back at history and you look at these these societal collapses, currency collapses, things like that, it was kind of, it, it always maps as a as a period of a quasi sideways grind where you where intelligent people can perceive that things are getting bad but then the parabolic spike is generally pretty hard and pretty fast and we're only a year and a half into this papacy and here we are here we are yeah, but there's a i mean there's a confluence though of events i mean what's happening in in politics throughout the world is is deeply rooted in the crisis in the church there's oh, no question course, about it of course and so the corner that we're backed in into now is not just um, I'm willing to be called 
a racist or a bigot or a homophobe or, you know, to lose my job or whatever. It's literally we're backed into a corner where your disposition has to be the only thing they can't take from me is my soul. I'll be a martyr if I have to. Exactly. Absolutely. And that's when things start happening. That's when you start being effective. You have to be somebody with nothing to lose. Absolutely. And if you want, if you will allow me to present myself as perhaps an example of this, when I did my Koran burning, I was just, you know, sitting in a restaurant reading reading about this Lindsey Graham saying that Americans need to be pu- need to be punished outside of the law for criticizing Islam. And I'm just sitting there like, you know, some someone has to do this. Someone this business of just thinking that trench warfare and prevent defense. I mean, even if if you'll allow me to go into a into a football metaphor, sure. it, we're not even playing prevent defense. We we aren't even standing on the side of the field. We're not even suiting up as a team. That's how bad it is. The right. other the other team is on the field playing the game and we're in the locker room sobbing in the fetal position on the floor. Seriously. And it's obvious when every time you hear about a shooting or a beheading or whatever, and the first thing you do, if you're you or me, is you start looking through the article for any reference to Islam. Of course. And it's not there. No. And then, I mean, I did this with an article. It was that that, that elderly woman that was beheaded in, in England a couple weeks ago. Right. And, and report after report came out. No no link to terrorism, no mention of anything. I started using Google Maps mm-hmm. to find the closest mosque to her house. Mm-hmm. It was a mile away. Yeah. And, I, and then, at that point, stuff started to come out where, okay, this is a guy, you know, who had been, you know, starting to be more and more serious about his Muslim faith and stuff. But I didn't think we were going to see it at all. Yeah. It, it's this conscientious effort to hide the evil that's going on. And then the few of us who are willing to try to expose it, you know, we're just we have all the all the eyes are on us. We're, we're, we're me. Guys. And what this is going circling back to what we were talking about earlier. This is a female response to things. Everything's fine. If we just don't talk about things, then there won't be a problem. There's no manful facing up to reality. It's and again, we these points just keep coming back and folding in on themselves, denying objective reality. This is the problem. And look, the, we're, we're not putting forth any defense against any of this at all. Let me assure you, the enemies are not, they're not just playing a solid defense. They are on hyper, hyper aggressive offense. And, right. and why wouldn't they be if you know the other side is terrified and is not going to do anything anything to resist you if you've got nothing to lose you've got nothing to lose you pull out all the stops and you just go as hard and as fast as you can and i think that's what's going on with this papacy i mean they've got it they're they've got their man in there they've got their boy they're they're they know that everyone is just terrified. They've made they made a preliminary quote unquote example of the Franciscan Friars of the Immaculate, and now all of the other uh, 
tradition, traditionalists are looking at the FFI and saying, oh my gosh, they're going to come after, they're going to come after us if we don't keep our heads down. Sweetie, they're coming after you anyway. All right. right. And, and right. all of those people in the United States who are afraid of the IRS, my darlings, they're coming after you anyway. For the love of Pete, you have nothing to lose at this point except your soul. What are you afraid of? I'll tell you what you're afraid of. You're afraid of everything except what you should be afraid of. You're right. afraid of everything except of God Almighty. In both the servile sense and the filial sense. You, you don't have... You don't, are, are we really, really fearing hell? Are we really fearing God's wrath? Do we even believe anymore that God is capable of wrath against a people who are revolting against him? I, I, I'm not I think we're going to get the answer to that real, real quick. I, frankly, it's to the point now. And again, you can call me. I get called a Calvinist and all kinds of horrible That's pejorative funny. names for this. Bring it. Make this stop. Make this stop. Do anything that needs to be done now, oh Lord, so that this business of these people every single day being lost to hell, being driven away from the church, being driven into heresy, being ratified in their sin, being driven into apostasy. And presumably, if, if all of those things happen and these people die and they have rejected the church, they reject that they have even committed any sin at all, they're not sorry for anything because they're being told that they should never feel any shame or any guilt for anything. Right. These people, if we believe what, what is given to us in the deposit of the faith— we can draw no other conclusion than the fact that these people are probably being lost to hell. And there are many, there are countless, um, you know, apparitions of our lady and so forth, and even uh, mystical appearances of our Lord, you know, to, to saints and, and, and legitimate people who you can, you can reliably uh, read about these mystical experiences they have. And, our Lord and Our Lady are constantly talking about how many people are going to hell. Yeah, and just about the only hope we have is that their culpability is so diminished by the fecklessness of their shepherds that that maybe there's some opportunity for mercy there. I, I don't know. I, I hope so. I, I don't have any reason to believe that it's so, but I, I hope so. I do too. What terrifies me, though, is that Almost everyone now on this planet, certainly everybody in Western civilization, is carrying around on their person a device which gives them instantaneous and unfettered access to the sum of human knowledge. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's Yeah, no, I mean, it makes invincible terrifying. ignorance. That is It makes yeah, in invincible? invincible ignorance a very difficult proposition, although Candy Crush is really appealing, I hear. So <laughs> it can eat up a lot of time. And, Indeed, yeah. Hey, for a second, because I know that not everybody who listens, you know, is familiar with your work. Talk about this event that you keep referring to, the asteroid, so people know. When you say after the asteroid hit, what are you talking well, about? Well, you know, when, when we talk about the asteroid, we're talking about the Second Vatican Council generally and the things that happened after that. I guess if you want to 
pinpoint the impact of the asteroid. I believe it was advent of 1968. And that is when the Novus Ordo was inflicted upon uh, God's holy church in the West. Something we like to remind people of, by the way, you know, when we talk about how many bishops voted for the language or how many didn't, remember that the majority of, bishop, of bishops did not vote for the Novus Ordo, and look what we got. Indeed. And in fact, you know, the clown masses and the super fun guitar masses and all that nonsense, it's important to understand that, that nowhere is any of that written. That was all done in, again, a very, a very tyrannical look. Mm -hmm. any, anything goes, boys, and you play ball, and if you don't play ball, you're going to get exiled to, you know, Tribune, Kansas or something like that. Well, you know, what What about the people in Tribune, Kansas? They they need the holy sacrifice of the Mass offered well, too. Why are we so afraid of that? Why didn't anybody stand up when that happened? And, oh, my gosh, Steve, my email box. It's just, it's heartbreaking. Well, I day wanted to talk to you about day. that because I get it, too. I get it, too. People writing to me saying that, you know, they've, they've either already apostatized and are trying to figure out if there's a reason to come back. But yep. you know, one guy, one guy put it well, he said, why should I believe in a church that doesn't even seem to believe in itself? Exactly, exactly. And what I'm struck by, because not, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be 38 in a few days. And I'm a convert. I, I was received into the church at the Easter Vigil of 2007. So I, of course, obviously, I have no living memory of the 60s because I was born in 76. But hearing from these people and getting these emails from these people, I didn't realize initially how quickly it happened, how quickly it went from having what you and I assist at, you know, mm -hmm. near daily, the, the Tridentine Mass, and it went from the Tridentine Mass to a clown show for some of these people in the space of six weeks, not six months, six weeks. Again, that it's like a document that's prepared and translated into five languages somehow mysteriously with only a short time frame to get it done. Yeah, exactly. Isn't that something? And it was it, a fait accompli before they ever got there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and people were just... People were just completely gobsmacked. And from what I've been told by cradle Catholics, mostly in regards to their parents, is, is that obedience was just drilled into, into them to the point oh, yeah. that when that happened, they couldn't bring themselves to stand up and say, no, you cannot do this. And what most people did, sadly, is they just left. I yeah. mean, the exodus out of the church in probably the five years from 68 to 73, when people saw, saw the mass turned into sometimes literally a clown show, right? they were just like, this, this, is not, this is not Catholicism anymore. Now, we have to be clear on this point. The Novus Ordo Mass, unless, you know, the, the priest does something consciously, you know, to make it to make it invalid. Those masses are valid. Many, mm -hmm. many of them are illicit, but they're valid and that is precisely the point. You know, to be honest, that's I what don't, makes them so dangerous. That's exactly the problem. I mean, what what the Anglicans do in their, you know, panediction with Deacon Terry and her wife or whatever, you know, <laughs> Our Lord is not, his physical substance is not therein present. So 
And I, I even heard someone describe it as it, it's a tremendous mercy because God in, in his providence knew that England was going to, um, was going to have a schism. And so in order to protect those people, that was allowed to happen so that these horrific liturgical abominations would not be happening with our Lord, you know, physically substantially present therein. Okay, the the problem with the Novus Ordo and with all these things that are going on is that those masses are valid. They absolutely are valid. And our Lord is 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 the you know, the bread and the wine is transubstantiated and there is his physical substance. And and then he is ignored. He is I mean, it's like he's not there. It's the father jazz hand show. Um right. You know, we don't need to. We don't need to go through all the list of liturgical. No, no, that goes we, on. we definitely we all, we don't. We know. We know what goes on, and that's the problem, and that's why this is happening. And I guess I just want to get back to the point: is that I get email after email from people saying, "Why is this happening? Why is this happening?" And and my response to this is, "How could it not be happening? I mean, yes. seriously." In the last 50 years, look at what our society has done on, in every sphere, on every side. It's become a cult of child sacrifice, sodomy, and, and the church, I mean, 90-some-odd percent of Catholics in the West have basically stopped practicing Catholicism. The yeah. vast majority of masses are illicit. There's something going on in these masses in which, you know, our Lord is not being treated the way he should be treated. Even well, if it's just, you know, throwing throwing the hosts out at people like like Doritos at the distribution. Even if it's I think it's like more that. ontological even than that. I mean, I have a priest who I know who is uh, is a diocesan priest, um, but has become increasingly traditional over time and has, has fallen in love with the traditional mass mm-hmm. and got to a point where he said, I just can't do the Novus Ordo anymore. Yeah. Uh, it, it, I feel like what I'm doing is I'm feeding my spiritual children a meal and it's a real meal. It has nourishment, but I, I'm just sticking a teaspoon of arsenic into every bite. Yeah. And it's, he says, I see it like the, the sacredness has been rinsed away. And he gave this anecdote of how he came into the, the, the church after mass and he had been outside, you know, doing the obligatory glad handing. He comes in, the deacon is doing something. I think he was removing the blessed sacrament from the tabernacle to bring to the sick. So the tabernacle was open and he knelt down right where he was in the middle of the aisle, heading back up to the church because the tabernacle was open and our Lord was there exposed in the blessed sacrament. Yeah. And there's these old people, old women there in the back and they're just gabbing away, you know, full volume. And they happen to notice that the priest has done something a little odd. He's just knelt down in the middle of the church and they stop and they look at him for about a second or two. And then they go back to talking. They looked up at the altar. They saw what was going on. He said the recognition was in their eyes, but the, the sense of sacredness, as he put it, was rinsed away. They just don't see that it's there anymore. They, they know it, but, but it doesn't connect with them. Well, of course, because the, the entire Novus Ordo paradigm, the Bunini, the Bunini paradigm, was conceived in malice. In malice. But this is a testament to the immutability of the church, you know. Even with these guys who are doing everything that they could in malice to to take all sense of the sacred away from 
from the liturgy so that the faithful, 50 years later, here we are, mission accomplished. The vast majority of Catholics, Steve, have no clue about the sacrificial nature of the Mass or the real presence. Yeah. They, well, I mean, even if they were taught no it, we don't act that. like it. If, Nobody if, if we don't act like, like it, it doesn't matter. Of course. I mean, and, and that's why this idea of, hey, we're not changing doctrine. That's I'm sorry. That's not a safeguard against anything. Doctrine is, has not been changed. That's great. That's fantastic. We know about the ineffectiveness exactly. of the church. Praxis but if the practice changes, yeah, that's yeah. all that matters because then you lose the people. And, and honestly, I mean, when we talk about a Novus Ordo paradigm, we're not just talking about sort of, as, as William F. Buckley called it, the aesthetic ordeal that is the Novus Ordo. <laughs> um, we're talking also, though, about the changes to the sacramental forms and the devotions. I mean, people don't realize, I don't think, that baptisms in the old rite had exorcisms. Two oh, exorcisms yeah. for children, three for adults. We enter this world under Satan's power, under under original sin. I mean, we deserve death. And so the idea that not only are there exorcisms within the baptism but the water and the salt to make mm -hmm. the holy water are also exercised so that they have power under over unclean spirits. We are fighting a war against principalities and powers. And you have Paul VI who says that the smoke of Satan has entered the church, but he strips exorcisms from baptism. He suppresses the prayer of St. Michael after the mass. It's such a schizophrenic thing to do to both acknowledge the influence of the devil in the church and then to completely diminish our power to address and defend ourselves against it. Well, and it leaves us asking the question, what what did these people actually in their hearts believe and what do these people today actually believe? And, you know, it's it just keeps coming back to this, who are you to judge, who are you to judge? You can't know a man's heart, you can't know a man's heart. True enough. However, we have all of these people's actions and we see the fallout. And I, I really don't believe that our Lord wants us to sit here and just be Pollyanna-ish about this and pretend and not draw any conclusions whatsoever about right. people's motives. And, and not only that, but then formulate, formulate what our response to this must be formulate tactics, if you will, because this is definitely a war. And the only way you win a war is if, is if you go on offense. You cannot just be laying in the trench, soiling yourself. I mean, I, 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 view, it, I view it as an opportunity. Our Lord has given us, has put us here in this time, given us this opportunity, saying, you know what? You, you sh show me. Come on, show me how much you love me. I want you to do this for me. Fight I, for me. Fight yeah. for me. Please, j just show me anything. And just nobody will do anything. It's just this who, who doesn't want that from the people that they love? Fight for me. Yes. Show me that you care about me. Don't just say it. Do it. And if, Actions speak and louder if than anyone words. has the right to say, "Show me that you love me," it's God. It's right. God. He has the full right to say and expect that of us. Now, me, I mean, I, I kind of, my flesh kind of crawls at the thought of going up to one of my friends and saying, show me that you love me right now. I mean, I don't know. Right. Maybe that's my Protestant baggage that I'm still carrying around and all that. But um, no, our Lord, he has every right to say that. And here we are in this time and place. He's a little more imminent than we are. Though. Just just a touch. Just a touch. <laughs> you know, I saw a great quote today. I can't remember where I saw it. It's something about how you can't climb the ladder to heaven with your hands in your pockets. 
Ooh, and nice. I thought, you know, I mean, but there's something to that. We can't just sit around and do nothing. So let's talk about somebody who is not just sitting back with their hands in their pockets. And that's Cardinal Burke. Yes. So, you know, he's a guy who has always been tremendously docile and respectful. He is, he is reserved in, in the commentary that he makes, even when things uh, are clearly troubling him. But recently, and I don't think it's just because he has less to lose, because he does have less to lose now that he's being removed from all of his positions of influence. But I think it's more his concern for Christ's teaching in his church, and he's making statements. So he made a statement recently about uh, the fact that, well, let me read it. So he says, the Pope has never said openly what his position is on the matter, the matter being uh, communion for the divorced and remarried. And people conjecture that because of the fact that he asked Cardinal Casper, who was well known to have these views for many, many years, to speak to the cardinals and has permitted Cardinal Casper to publish his presentation in five different languages and to travel around the world advancing his position on the matter, and then even recently to publicly claim that he is speaking for the Pope, and there's no correction of this. I can't speak for the Pope, and I can't say what his position is on this, but the lack of clarity about the matter has certainly done a lot of harm. That's a big criticism from a cardinal. In fact, I don't know that we have precedent on record in recent centuries, do we? I don't know. Oh, no, not in recent centuries, no. And every single word of it is true. Um, chaos is of the devil. And when, when Bergoglio, Pope Francis Bergoglio said... Um, that he wanted, he said it in Brazil at World Youth Day. He said, Agan uh, un lio, make a mess. That's what I want you yes. to do. I want you to make a mess. Okay, that is incredibly problematic. That is incredibly problematic because chaos is from hell. Clarity, precision, that is what is demanded from from the magisterium of the church. And that's that's what it has been. I mean, just in the last... In the last few years, going back and reading stuff as recent as the writings of, say, Leo the Thirteenth, the first thing that you're struck with is just how clear it all is. Because we've been subjected to this this Jesuit uh, modernist nonsensical gobbledygook. Can I just make the point? I mean, we're, I know we're probably preaching to the choir here, but this will go up on my my website too. So maybe I'll I'll mm-hmm. hit a few people who who you know need to hear this. Man, I can't overemphasize this enough. These documents that are coming out, and especially now, um, and have been coming out um, since the asteroid hit, since the council and all that, most of them don't actually say anything. It doesn't say anything. It is yeah, nonsense. Yeah, I read them, and I read it over and over, over and over, and over. And I cannot figure out what I'm reading. There's all these words, but there's no, no substance. There is no substance. There is no meaning. And the problem is, and I, I know exactly what the dynamic is. First of all, as we were talking about earlier in the hour, stupid people have been allowed have been not only allowed to rise to the ranks, but specifically recruited. And so one of the tools that stupid people use is that they learn, they get these polysyllabic buzzwords and phrases. And the Jesuits are just are just famous for this, you know. And they Casuistry. Yes, exactly. And they they cobble 
paragraphs together from these buzzwords and using these keywords. And I mean, what does Francis use? We, we <laughs> I was with some friends and we were going through making a list of all the words that he has just destroyed that you basically can't use anymore. Okay, encounter, dialogue, tenderness, caressing. He's always talking about that. It's kind yeah, of creepy. Yeah, it's a little it's, creepy. Yeah. I mean, you just go through these list of these buzzwords, and then you read these documents, and you read this garbage that came out of this synod, and it's 6,000 words of mostly unintelligible gobbledygook. And even the famous, you know, paragraph 50, 51, 52, whatever the ones mm-hmm. on sodomy, you know, celebrating yep. sodomy, whatever those were. If yeah, you as read though our it, gifts come from our sexual orientation rather yeah, than it, our indeed, as human indeed. persons. Oh, mama mia. So you read those paragraphs and even within them, you know exactly what they're trying to to get out into the mainstream media, and you know the dog whistles that they're blowing. But everything is phrased in the form of a question, for example. Can't the church value sodomite sex, blah, blah, blah? You know, I'm paraphrasing heavily there, Always obviously. Always with a little but... caveat at the end of without compromising Catholic doctrine on, on marriage and, and morality. Yeah, like, because... we're just going to stick that in. It's kind of like you know getting a really nasty dig in on a guy, and then at the end of it saying, "Yeah, but he's a nice guy." Though. Let me let me tell you how how this works. Where I, in the part of the world that I'm from, um, there's an old joke that in Texas you'll have a group of women sitting around talking about the new young woman who moved to town, and you know, I know where you're going she with this. is a <laughs> whore. And she is the most horrible person that I have ever met in my life. And she has pernicious body odor. Bless her heart. (laughs) And as long as you put the bless her heart at the end, you can say anything you want. And that's exactly, it's the same. You're absolutely right. It's the same thing. It's just this rhetorical trick. Just put the contradiction at the end. And if you read the the documents of Vatican II, I mean, it's said that all all the documents of Vatican II have a quote-unquote self-destruct paragraph built into every single one of them that basically negates whatever substance was in the rest of the document. And so hopefully, you know, if if this isn't the big end of the world, centuries hence, uh, I would have to think that if the world gets its bearing again, that it will look back at the Se- Second Vatican Council as a failed council just because the documents are so are so... Utterly. Well, they're ridiculous. just open-ended. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're completely exploitable, mm-hmm. however you want. I mean, Martin Mosbach makes an argument in his book, The Heresy of Formlessness, that I think applies also to the Second Vatican Council. He says that the greatest argument against the Novus Ordo is that it's possible to do it reverently. It's, it's just an option. It's one option among many. Yeah. I mean, you could do whatever you want, you know, and I think that that... That really gives the lie to what they're doing. They they set these things up. Michael Davies called them time bombs. But they, mm-hmm. they put these things in there so that later on they know who's going to be in charge of interpreting the documents. Yep. And so it's this, hey, it's gradualism. You know, we'll put it in and then later we'll do a little thing with this and then later we'll exploit this other one. And it's almost like finding a... You know, a bomb under the auto bomb from World War Two, and they have to detonate the thing because it's still explosive, but it's been sitting there for 50, 60 years. Right. And that really that brings up a point. This is something that I'm getting ready to write an essay on is how important it is in in all paradigms of civilization. And we see examples of this all throughout our lives of having built in brakes, B-R-A-K-E, like the brakes right. in your car. That's one of the things that the old mass does is it has all of these breaks built into it so that 
you know, even let's say you've got a terrible, horrible, just, you know, flamingly uh, homosexualist type of a man celebrating the mass just because of how the old mass is structured, where the priest is facing our Lord, you know, all of the gestures and all of the rubrics are so are so strictly prescribed. Yes. All of these breaks are in place so that even if he was the biggest flamer in the world, probably if he he would say a low mass and unless you knew the guy you you wouldn't pick up on it and certainly children wouldn't pick up on it so that, right i had a priest say to me who was a, a young priest who does the old mass he said i'm a slave to the liturgy the church tells me where to stand yep. where to put my hand whether or not to kiss the altar he says and because i'm a slave to the liturgy christ's priesthood acts through me i don't i i'm not there anymore exactly and this maps into you know the banking sector the financial sectors one of the reasons why the financial sector is just is in the same phase of a just a parabolic destruction is because all of these built-in breaks have been taken away and you know I could you know talk for another hour about all that but it's interesting how that is what western civilization has been all about for the last 50 years is just going out and in in every possible facet of life including the church and including the liturgy, remove all of the braking systems that keep everything, you know, on the tracks and on the straight and narrow. And, you know, if you get a little bit too far off, we'll, a brake will kick in and it'll push you back in right towards the middle where you're supposed to be. Right. That's all, that's all been removed. Yeah. So let me talk to you about something else. Okay. Um, and, and I think that it ties into what we were talking about earlier about, you know, show me you love me. So, you and I are not strangers to saying things in public that other people find uncomfortable. Indeed. Um, you know, my mother, God bless her, has gotten to the point where when people will hear her last name and say, oh, are you related to Steve? And she'll say, yeah, I'm his mother, but I don't believe everything he says. I don't agree with everything he says. <laughs> no, uh, yeah. And I, I can't say I blame her entirely for that. <laughs> so, um, but I think that now... I. I have this gut sense that now is the time where the tide is actually turning. You know, we've been trying to warn people for a while. This papacy has a lot of things about it that are troubling. Mm -hmm. And it's not just the Pope himself. It's, it's the people he's surrounding himself with. Indeed. It's, it's the guys that he's promoting, like Maradiaga and Casper and all these guys, you know, Forte. Um, but but I, I'm sensing that those who have been more reticent about their criticisms and you and I I know both hear from them the people who send you the email and say I'm so glad you're saying this I wish I could but I'm a professor at a Catholic University or I work for a Catholic you know apologetics publication or whatever and I can't they're uh. starting to come out they're starting to come forward mm -hmm. and there's I think there's some legitimacy I had a conversation with somebody recently who's a professor who's forming theology students to recognize and understand the errors that are coming out of this papacy. And he's doing it in a subtle way. He's doing it in an indirect way. He's forming their minds because if he confronts them directly and says, the Pope said this, it's wrong, then the ultramontane virus flares up like you know World War Z and nobody hears him. But if he simply says, if you ever hear someone say this, this is such and such an error. It's been condemned at such and such a council, and this is how you respond. Mm -hmm. Then what ends up happening is when that student goes out and reads a news article and says, wow, why did the Pope say that? He starts to draw his own conclusions. 
and it's more effective. And so there's a, there is a place, I think, for keeping people in a sort of an underground resistance movement. But so the moment has come where more and more are coming forward. And they're starting to say there are serious problems. I mean, the Senate really was the hammer blow. Right. And yet, you know, this is something everybody's talking about this week, so I want to address it with you. We have this, this Cardinal Burke. We read the quote. And then we had Michael Voris, who has an editorial policy at Church Militant TV that he's not going to criticize the Pope for reasons that are a little difficult for me to understand when that's his stock in trade is criticism. I could understand if you know there was something else that he was doing with his quote-unquote apostolate, but he's, he's criticizing bishops. That's what he does. So, But he quotes Burke, and he puts out a video, and I'm sure you've seen it, where literally, I mean, it was just a report. It's a midnight report from Rome. I think it was on you know the 18th of October. Mm-hmm. And he says, Burke said that the Pope's doing a lot of harm. Uh, you know, He also confirmed that he's being removed from the apostolic signature, et cetera, et cetera. It's a very short 30-second report. Two days later, after everybody and their brother links to it and says, wow, look, even Michael Voris is willing to admit that there are problems with the papacy, the video disappears Mm -hmm. without explanation, without correction. And then another day or two later, a clarification appears. And in the video, there's this very long and drawn out and and overwrought and kind of, well, it's, it's a really uncomfortable explanation from Michael Voris about why he thinks that issuing this report about what Cardinal Burke said was wrong. Have a listen. What we do at churchmilton.tv is use the tools of the new media to further the cause of the church, period. We don't use them as an end in themselves. On this occasion, I unthinkingly inverted those priorities and ran with it, the story. For that, I offer you my deepest apologies and ask for your forgiveness. I've dedicated the remainder of my life to serving the church and to have to consider that I did something that brought some harm to her makes me heart sick. On a personal note, to show you how bothered in spirit I am by my actions, I chose not to receive Holy Communion on Sunday and have gone to confession over this entire matter. I find that statement extremely uncomfortable. First of all, because nobody needs to know the state of his soul or mine uh, if I don't go to communion, you should just assume it's because I was drinking coffee on the way to mass because I was tired. You just yeah. you don't need to know. Secondly, it's really showy in a really weird and awkward way to try to make this big thing about how, oh, look, I feel so bad. I did these spiritual things that you don't need to know about. Thirdly, he's implicitly throwing Burke under the bus for yep. doing what he did because all he did was quote him. I mean, is he saying that Burke needs to you know, abstain from communion? I don't really understand. I'm with you. It's, it was no good. I think it was a mistake on Voris's part. Um, and I think it goes back to what one of your columnists, um, Hillary White, refers to as papal positivism. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is bad business. That is bad business. This notion of not acknowledging, once again, the objective reality of the situation. And this whole notion that there can be there can be no critique, there can be no discussion. I mean, just like what Voris did, just saying, I cannot under any circumstances say anything bad, quote unquote bad about the Pope, even even when I'm quoting somebody else. And well, you know, what if that bad thing that you're saying about the Pope is the truth? Right. And I and I just look back, and this is this has such a 
kind of bizarre quasi Protestant smack to it that, you know, all the Protestants are like, we got it. We got to take the corpus off of the cross. You know, we can't, we can't have our, we can't be, you know, displaying our Lord's crucified body because we just, we don't want to think about those things and that's bad. And look at all of the incredibly unflattering things that are in the gospels and in, and in the epistles. I mean, it's just amazing to me that people don't understand the truth is always beautiful and in fact the most beautiful thing in in the world is the holy sacrifice of, of the mass our lord crucified dying for our sins this is the most beautiful thing in the world and it is simultaneously the most horrific horrific thing in the world yes and, and what why are we not understanding this now let's let's take it a step further let's look at all of the of the um behaviors and decisions of saint peter <laughs> both before and after i mean he was just constantly he was kind of a hot mess he was kind of a hot mess just a touch and you know that that is precisely why the gospels and and the the rest of the new testament why it's so compelling because they were not afraid to just put it all out there because the truth is itself beautiful even when it's ugly we have to talk about these things and what what is very ugly and the if if you'll allow me the aesthetic that you're picking up on with regards to the voris situation mm-hmm. is that it is ugly on on a moral level yeah to see somebody mincing equivocating walking back and just saying i'm going to whitewash the truth of the situation and also and also it is completely ineffective the reason why i have had the success that i have had i am convinced is because of forthrightness brutal brutal forthrightness the world is asphyxiating, the Western world at least, is, is asphyxiating for lack of forthrightness, bluntness, and clarity. And so as we were talking about at the very, very beginning, why do I get the traffic that I get? Why do I have as many people, diverse, all people from all over the place? My blog isn't just Catholic. It's financial. It's kind of, there's a bunch of Tea Party type people, anti-Islam type people. My, my readership base is very odd and very diverse. Mm-hmm. Why do these people keep coming back? Because the truth, when stated forthright, forthrightly and with clarity and with manful courage, if I may flatter myself to say so, <laughs> is fundamentally attractive, which is exactly the same reason why Calvary and our Lord crucified is simultaneously horrible and yet also incredibly, incredibly attractive to where once you're in, I mean, you just, you, if you can get a, a good altarpiece with with our lord crucified or a crucifix or you know a picture inside of a book you'll find yourself just constantly sitting and staring for minutes and minutes and minutes if not into hours if you're you know 
praying the office or saying the entire rosary or something like that. And you can just sit and stare at that. And it's, it's the most beautiful thing in the world. And it's ugly when people try to whitewash what is the truth. And it is not attractive. And you are not going to convince people to convert to the faith if you're mincing and equivocating and walking stuff back and denying the objective reality that's right in front of them. Even through this whole synod mess and even through all this Pope Francis mess and who am I to judge, I have people emailing me who are wanting to revert and or or con- convert, I shouldn't say and or, revert or convert to the church in the midst of this, the mess, in the yeah. midst of this. If you will just explain to people and tell them clearly without any BS, look, this is what the situation is. This is what's happening. The church has been infiltrated. It started a long time ago. Here's what happened in the early 20th century. Here's what happened in the mid 20th century. Here's what's happening right now. We fully acknowledge all of this. We're under attack. And then let me explain to you the truth of the situation and these Catholic doctrines and dogmas and so forth. If you'll just explain it to people and be straight up with them, it's attractive. They'll join up with you. They'll say, oh, man, I see that that the Catholic Church is A, true, and B, under attack. Where do I join up? And worth fighting for. It's worth fighting for. And, I mean, you've done this very eloquently in your recent posts and i mean i've sent them to some people who write to me and say i just don't understand like i don't get what's going on with the pope i don't get what's going on with the church because what you're articulating is the same thing that is really the whole mission of one peter five there are bad things that are going to be happening to the church they've already begun i think they're going to get worse but there are also permanent things that no bishop no pope no synod no council can take away and I'm, that's not me. I mean, Bishop Schneider said that in his in his interview at Oxford in May of this year. There are things that nobody can take away, these perennial teachings of the church. And they're the things that you kind of have to bunker down in during the storm. You can't, don't put your eyes on Peter during the storm. I mean, I know that sounds counterintuitive for Catholic to say, but he's the one who started sinking. Look at Christ. That's right. Because Peter, if he's not reflecting Christ, is not doing his job. And, you know, I, I'll read a quote to you that, has become one of my favorites. A, a friend of mine sent this to me a while back. It's from uh, Father Mel, actually Bishop Melchior Cano. He was a Dominican uh, during the Council of Trent and one of the theologians of the council. And he said, quote, Peter has no need of our lies or our flattery. Those mm. who blindly and indiscriminately defend every decision of the Supreme Pontiff are the very ones who do most to undermine the authority of the Holy See. They destroy instead of strengthening its foundations. Indeed. Indeed. That's the attitude we need to have. You have to pray for the Pope. You have to hope for, you know, his orthodoxy. But at the same time, if you see him doing something that is scandalizing people, and I've had, I mean, specifically somebody wrote to me and said, I was in the process of becoming Catholic and then Francis was elected and things that he said scared me away. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. How are we supposed to deal with that, Michael Voris? Because you think that people are going to leave the church because you level, you know, moderate and reasonable criticism about what the Pope is doing based on doctrinal foundations. Well, what about the people who are leaving because they're seeing the conflict and they can't reconcile it? I, I don't I don't understand. 
Do you? Exactly. I, I, I agree. I agree. I think it is a, it's a misstep on his part. And in fact, there's, um, there's a quote from Cardinal Cajetan that's very straightforward that says, we must resist the Pope who publicly destroys the church. And, you know, I'm so glad that we're concluding back on this because in my mind, how could you not see this coming? How can, you, how can you be thrown back on your heels by all of this? Look at what has happened over the last, just isolate it to the last hundred years in Western society. Look at what's happened in the church in the last 50 years. I mean, it was clear that this pope, after Pope Benedict, was going to be a, a post-conciliar, full-fledged, novus ordo, modernist slash postmodernist. Mm-hmm. Okay. You can totally see this coming. This is just the mathematics of the... It's the, the generation that he came from, if nothing else. Absolutely. And then we have, we have Fatima. We have all of these warnings. We have La Salette. We have Akita. We have all of these warnings from the mother of God saying, look, you people need to either tighten this up or, or things are going to get really, really, really bad. And people just say, oh, blah, blah, nothing bad could ever happen to us, especially Americans. Americans are very bad about this. Nothing bad could ever happen to us. Oh, well, this too will pass. No, and people also no. think that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church somehow means that she's got an indestructible force field around her, that, that it can't be diminished or damaged to the point that it's near death. They don't seem to grasp that. Right. I mean, and the way that I think about it is if there is one valid mass said anywhere on this planet per day, then the gates of hell, the gates of hell have not prevailed. Amen, think about that. Think about that. What that means. One one mass said presumably underground somewhere in hiding. Mm hmm. That's all that means. And so not only can it, can, can it get bad, it can get really, really bad. And the quote that I just keep going back to and is so edifying to me in a, in a strange way, but it truly is, is the St. John Eudas quote. Yeah. The most evident mark of God's anger and the most terrible castigation he can inflict upon the world is manifest when he permits his people to fall into the hands of a clergy who are more in name than in deed, Priests who practice the cruelty of ravening wolves rather than the charity and affection of devoted shepherds. They abandon the things of God to devote themselves to the things of the world, and in their saintly calling of holiness, they spend their time in profane and worldly pursuits. (coughs) When God permits such things, it is a very positive proof that he is thoroughly angry with who? Who is he angry with? with his people and is visiting his most dreadful wrath upon them. It is because we have sat back and allowed this all to happen. And it's not just our generation, Steve. It's certainly our parents' generation, the baby boomer generation. And it's also the generation before that who allowed all of these evil paradigms to just emerge into Western civilization said nothing and just sat back and, and, and watched. And it's Our Lady of La Salette who actually prophesied that in these very dark days before the very big, um, the very, the very big punishment, that people would be obsessed with entertainment. They'd be obsessed with entertainment. And isn't that exactly where we are right now? People have sat back and said, la-di-da, 
let's watch TV, let's watch sports, I'm I'm not going to worry about this, you know, I'm not starving to death, blah, 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 whatever. Turn on the TV and just cannot be bothered, cannot be bothered to stand up for the truth, for our Lord, for his holy church. So it's a somber note. But it's, yeah. I, think it's, I think it's a good place, honestly, to end the discussion because it, we need to reflect on it. Yeah. Um, I don't want to reflect on it, but I, I can't seem to get to confession often enough to keep myself out of hot water. So I know that, you know. Prayer and fasting, prayer and fasting, and there's going to have to be penance done by yeah. somebody at some point. And look around, your civilization it is not sorry. And Our Lady of Akita warned us that not even the priests or the faithful will be spared the chastisement yep. that is coming. I mean, we've got to hunker down and be ready. It's not a fun time, but it's an exciting time. Well, like I said, our Lord put us here for a reason. And maybe, I don't know, maybe it's delusions of grandeur on my part. But I, I want to try to do something to at least show him how much I love him and that I, I really want to try and not only for his sake, but also that also because I love him, that I have a, that I have a charity towards my fellow man. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't like most people, but I do care. I do care whether or not any given person spends the rest of eternity burning in hell. Absolutely. And we're all called to that. There cannot be this indifference, this indifference nonsense. And, oh, if God wants to save somebody, well, that's, that's his deal. I can't worry about that. No, if we love God, we have to, for his sake, be very, very concerned, first and foremost, about where we end up ourselves and also about where our fellow man, both the people that we know and love intimately and perfect strangers and people that we will never meet and people who haven't even been born yet. We need to be concerned about these things. Anne, I really enjoyed having you on. I hope we can do it again. I'm sure we can. I look forward to it, dear. All right. Thanks. Bye. All right. Bye. You have been listening to the One Peter Five podcast. This has been a production of One Peter Five Incorporated, copyright 2014, all rights reserved please remember to visit us online at www.1peter5.com. That's www.1peter5, all spelled out, all one word, dot com. You can join our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash 1peter5. You can also follow us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash, you guessed it, 1peter5. If you feel we have provided you with something of value, please hit our donate page and make a contribution. It not only helps pay for web hosting and the fine content we provide, but keeps food on the table, coffee in our cups, and the lights on, which really helps us see what we're doing. Until next time, I'm Steve Skojak. Thanks for listening.